Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. Good morning. I know we're fasting, but but that doesn't mean we can we 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 can't be energetic and we can't be excited and we can't be happy. I love Sundays, and the reason I love Sundays is because you are part of it. So um, I'm so glad you're here. When you walked in, you should have gotten a bulletin. If you didn't get one, would you raise your hand? One of our ushers will bring one to you. Uh, So if you need one, just raise your hand. If you're visiting us today, uh, we want to welcome you. We're so glad that you would join us on this wet, beautiful day. We want you to feel at home. We want you to know that you're in a safe place and that um, we trust that God is going to touch your life. And if when he does... We want to invite you to come back and uh, continue to enjoy this community we call Dayspring. Isn't that right, church? Amen. Well, in your bulletins, inside of it, there's an outline. Would you pull that out? We're going to use that. We are in a series that we're calling the power of unity. And we're talking about unity because this unity affects us all. No matter your age, listen to me, teenagers, young people, single people, single parents, divorced individuals, married individuals, this unity affects us all. This unity keeps us from progress. This unity keeps us from joy. This unity keeps us from improving things to be uh, the best that they can be. This unity brings division. This unity breaks down relationships. This unity leads to failure. This unity leads to defeat. And that's why we've been talking about the power of unity. Because God calls us to unity. If you have your outline with me, would you stand? Uh, we're going to read God's word together. 1 Corinthians 1.10 has been uh, the verse of our series. Let's read it together and we'll jump into today's uh, message. Paul writes and he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that what? That all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be what? No divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your wonderful presence in this place. Thank you, Lord, that we can be here worshiping you. Lord, if you had not reached out and rescued us and saved us, many of us, Lord, would not be alive today. Many of us would be an emotional, relational, financial wreck. Many of us would be hopeless and in despair. Many of us would be causing pain. But Lord, we are blessed. We have been blessed in the heavenly realm because of who you are, Lord. So we celebrate that and we pray that as we go into your word, that you would speak to us. That your word would not only inform us, but transform us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. 
You know, as I mentioned, this unity has a lot of negative side effects. And that is why God calls us to unity. Because unity is good for us. Last week we saw that unity attracts blessing. That, the, that unity attracts the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That unity attracts prosperity and progress. That unity attracts peace and stillness. And that unity attracts joy. But the thing that I hope by now you've understood, and if you haven't, please understand, is that unity is not automatic. In fact, I would dare to add that unity is not easy. But unity is always possible. Amen. Unity is not automatic. It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't come on its own. Unity is something that we must create, something that we need to fight for, that we need to work for, that we need to seek. In other words, unity is in your hands and in my hands. Unity is a choice that we make, and this unity is also a choice that we make. Yes, unity takes a lot of work. A lot of times the work is sacrificing ourselves or putting our, our desires aside or putting our plans aside for the well-being of others. But although unity takes work, the benefits of unity are enormous. The rewards of unity are great. Yes, unity requires sacrifice, but, but the outcome is, is exponential. The, what, what unity gives in return, it, it outnumbers the sacrifice and the effort that we have to put to receive, to create unity. Now, that's why we're doing this series. Because we want to be intentional about choosing unity. This unity is too common in our days. We see it everywhere. We see it in the news media, we see it in talk shows, we see it in families, we see it in churches, we see it in our nation, we see it in genders. Disunity is all over the place. But it ought not to be the same with God's people. You and I, we, we, we are called to be different. We are called to live and walk in unity. We are, we are called to be people that are unified. Now, how do we do that? Well, that's what we're doing in this series. We're looking at six elements that produce unity. Six things that we can focus on. Six things that we can prioritize that create unity in all of our relationships. Whether it is your family, your friendships, your marriage, with your kids, with your siblings, with your work community, with your church. These elements create unity regardless of where the relationship is. The first ingredient, and we saw that the first week, and you can fill that out in your outlines, is love. Love is the foundation for our relationships. Without love, we are nothing. Without love, we can accomplish, we can accomplish anything. But the second ingredient that produces unity is identity. When we all root for the same team, we can celebrate together, we can work together, we can cry together, we can join together. Identity is the second ingredient. And today we're going to talk about the third one. The third ingredient that produces unity is purpose. Now, please hear me out. Unity is not uniformity. 
Unity is not everybody looking the same, acting the same, dressing the same, and having the same desires. That is not unity. Did you know that sports teams can have the same uniform, can be in the same place and not have unity? Families can have the same last name, live in the same city and still not have unity? Churches, right? Christian folks can go to the same church, be part of the same denomination and not have unity. Because unity is much more than just being in the same place and unity is not definitely looking or acting the same. One of the things about unity is that unity is composed of different elements or different individuals with one purpose. It's purpose that creates unity. Going back to the illustration of sports, right? For example, take football. In a football team, right, you have all kinds of different players. Tall ones, short ones, fast ones, slow ones, some throw, some kick, some carry the ball. There's all kinds of sizes and different positions in a football team. It is not how they look that creates unity, but it is their purpose that creates unity in a football team. And what is the purpose of a football team? Well, to score the ball at the end zone by moving the ball at least 10 yards at a time. It's their purpose that creates unity in a football team. And the same ought to be with us as God's people. We're all different. Some of us have a lot of hair. Some of us have no hair. Some of us are tall. Some of us are short. Some of us are task-oriented. Others are, are people-oriented, right? We come from different cultures. We, we have different experiences. We have different socioeconomical conditions. We're all different. But here's what the Word of God says. We have one God, and we are one family. So it's not that we all like the same thing that unites us. But it's that we believe in one God and we have been made part of one family that is what makes us one people. Look at what the Bible says in Ephesians 4 verses 4 and 7. Look at what the Bible says about you and me. It says there is one body and one spirit. As just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Do you see the unifying language throughout these verses? One, 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 all over the place. One God, one faith, one hope, one Lord, one body. Why? Here's why. Because unity is God's will. <coughs> it does not please God that there would be disunity among his family. Those of you that are parents, you know that one of the most painful things is when your siblings don't, when your children don't get along. When your children are, are fighting with each other and they say, Dad, is my sister going to come to Thanksgiving? Because if she is, I'm not going. You know that as a parent, that breaks your heart. 
you know that as a parent, what you want most is for your family to be together, for you to continue enjoying your children. So it is God's will that we would have unity because without unity, families will not be healthy and will hurt each other. Without unity, marriages will not last. Without unity, churches will not advance the kingdom of God. It is God's will that you and I would live in unity. Because here's the thing, unity has great power. That's why we've titled this series, The Power of Unity. Because in unity, there is tremendous power. And that is why the enemy fights you so hard to destroy the unity between you and your spouse, between you and your children, between you and your fellow Christian brothers. Because unity has enormous power. You want me to show you how powerful unity is? The story of Babel shows us the power of unity. If you're familiar with the story of the Tower of Babel, it says that, that these people, that they discovered bricks, that before that, they didn't have this, this technology to be able to make bricks, and somehow they found a way to make bricks. So, so with bricks came the ability to, to make buildings and to do things that they had not been able to do before. So what is it that these individuals do with this new technology? Well, here's what they do. They say, you know what? Let's build a tower that is so tall that we reach where God is. Now, that is ridiculous, right? Because there is no building tall enough that can reach where God is. But in this expression, you find their motives and their true desires. They want it to be like God. They weren't doing this to honor God. They weren't doing this to elevate God. They weren't doing this to honor themselves, to make a name for themselves, to elevate themselves. Now, now, they had a bad motive, but they were, but, but they had something good going on for them. They were united. In fact, you know how united they were? So united that God said, I need to come down and confuse their languages because if I don't, these people are so united that they'll accomplish what they set out to do. In fact, let's read it together. Look at Genesis eleven six. 6. Look, this is God speaking about them. He says, look, he said, by the way, who is God telling look to? The Trinity, right? The Trinity, look, he said, the people are what? United. There's bad motives that unite people. Without going into too much detail, 9-11 is an example of people being united for a wrong cause. But God says, look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the what? The same language. Now, it wasn't just talking about their vocal language. It was talking about, about their purpose, about their goal, about what they wanted to do. And look at what he says. This is interesting. He says, after this, nothing they set out to do will be what? Impossible for them. Here's a negative story with a positive principle. Here are people with a negative goal that are applying a positive principle. And here's what you got to know about biblical principles. They remain true throughout the ages. 
the things that God has said, this is going to be this way and this is going to work this way. And when you do this, this is going to happen. Those, those laws, those principles that God set out continue to be true, whether it is before Jesus, during the times of Jesus or in our days. And here's the principle that we see in this story. That unity allows us to accomplish the impossible. I didn't say that. God did. He said, after this, they will set out, they, they will set out to do what will be impossible for them. In other words, there won't be anything that will stop them. Hey, can you imagine the things you and I could do for the San Fernando Valley if we got united like these people did? Can you imagine if we were so united in purpose that a little rain didn't discourage us? Can you Im imagine the families, the communities, the individuals that we could impact if we just came together in one purpose and said, we're going to reach the valley for the Lord? We could accomplish it. Amen. We could accomplish it. Yes. If we haven't yet, it's because we have not created the unity that is required to do such things. But unity has tremendous power. Jesus, God said, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. So question, how do we create this kind of unity of purpose that allows us to accomplish the impossible? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the type of family you could be in the things that you could do if you were just united in purpose like these people were? Imagine with me. I know it may sound like a fairy tale. Can you imagine how much different your marriage would be if you were united in purpose like these people were? You could have probably had your house by now because nothing would be impossible for you. So how do we create this kind of unity of purpose? Well, in Acts 4, in Acts chapter 4, we have a story. And in it, we see four principles. Four principles that are essential to have unity of purpose. And I want us to look at this story. And we're going to look at two of them today. We're not going to look at all four today. We're going to look at two today. And we're going to look at the next two next Sunday. So, so you got to come next Sunday so that you don't miss it. Because if you only get half of it, you'll miss the other half and not get the full effect. Amen? But in, in, in Acts chapter 4, we're not going to read it all today. Um, I want to encourage you this week during your week, make time to read chapter 3 and chapter 4 and even chapter 5 of Acts. They're wonderful. They're wonderful. They're, 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 they're really amazing stories. Um, but, but we're not going to read it all together. I'll tell you about the story. We'll read some of the verses. But please at home, make sure you read chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5 of Acts. But here's the first thing that is required to have unity of purpose. If we are going to have unity of purpose, then unity of purpose requires a collective cause. We need a unifying cause. We need a cause that we all embrace, that we all adopt, that we all believe in, and that we all fight for. Now, to understand Acts 4, you actually have to understand and know Acts 3. And in Acts chapter 3, the Bible tells us 
that Peter and John were going to the temple for the three o'clock prayer as they usually did. And on their way to the temple, there was this blind, lame man that was always taken to the temple to beg. He was there all the time. People knew him. People knew who he was because he was always there. And as people would come into the temple, he would beg and ask people for money. On this one particular occasion, as Peter and John are going to the three o'clock prayer at the temple, the man happens to ask them, hey, you got some change you could spare? Peter looks at the man and he tells them, hey, look at me. Now, I got to imagine at that moment that this layman thought some good amount of money was coming his way, right? For somebody to say, hey, hey, pay attention to me. It's like something good's going to come, right? But what is it that Peter and John do? Here's what they say. They say, hey, we don't have silver and gold. In other words, we got no money to give to you, dude. He says, but what we do have, we give to you. Get up and walk in the name of Jesus. Now, this man was expecting money, but he got a miracle. That's a good exchange. That's what Jesus will do for you. When you, when you think you're asking for some money, Jesus is willing to give you a miracle. Amen. And, and it says that this layman got up and he walked. Now, you know what he did? You know what he did? He didn't go home. He didn't go take a shower. You know what he did? He went to the temple. He went to go thank God. Church, we got to go back to recognizing where our miracles and our blessings come. When something good happens in our lives, don't go celebrate to Vegas. Don't go celebrate to Palm Springs. Go celebrate at the house of the Lord and say, I am grateful for what he did. By the way, can I give you a quick testimony? Can I give you a quick testimony? I'm testifying in faith. Amen. Can I? So as you know, as you know, because I kind of been talking about it for the last six months plus I've been training for the marathon right it's coming up in two weeks I want to run it under four hours which is going to be challenging but about two weeks ago on a Friday morning I went out for a long run and as I was running I felt tightness in my calf so I ran back and by the time I got back home I was limping I was in pain like I couldn't even put my whole foot down I was hopeful. I got three weeks. I can recuperate. I'll be fine. Well, last week, I tried running three times. And all three times, I felt pain in my calf. All this, this whole week, I was feeling down. I was feeling depressed. I was feeling so disappointed because I was like, I've trained so hard. I've talked about it. I was ready to do it. I paid $250 to run that dumb marathon. And now I'm not going to be able to do it. Don't tell her, Ina, I paid that, okay? Oh, she's here. <clears throat> um, and you know, yesterday we were in prayer, which, by the way, we missed a lot of you, especially men. If we, we, We're missing a lot of men in our prayer. And I want to challenge you to step up and be that, that spiritual man that we're called to be. We were greatly outnumbered by the ladies in prayer yesterday. Guys, we got to do better. Anyways, we were in prayer And I said, well, you know, I always preach that if it matters to me, it matters to the Lord. So as we were praying for the petitions, I said, hey, would you guys pray for my calf? I've been feeling down. Long story short, at night, 
I went to the gym and I was just going to go walk. I was just going to go walk. I wanted to keep my legs fresh. And I said, well, let me try running. And I started running lightly. I ended up running six miles with no pain whatsoever yesterday or today. I, I have to believe the Lord did it. I have to believe it was the, and then it got me thinking like, well, maybe I'm crazy, you know, maybe it's just, maybe it's all the exercise and the rolling and the medicine. And then it got me thinking about how Manolo shared that Gil prayed for him because his, his side was hurting. By the way, I thought Manolo did something on my calf, but, but, but it wasn't him. And, and how, how after Gil prayed for him, he started feeling better. So, so here's all I'm trying to say. God is still in the business of doing miracles. Amen. God is still in the business of doing miracles. So anyways, let's go back to our story. I get sidetracked so easily. So this layman, he, he gets healed, right? He goes to the temple and guess what happens? Everybody recognizes him. Everybody can see that the lame blind man that was always begging outside is now inside. And they begin to question, hey, what happened to you? Who did this? And he says, it was Peter and John. So they begin to question Peter and John. And you know what they do? Because it was already late in the evening. They threw them in prison. They threw them in prison until the next day where they can question them. And that's where we read in our passage in Acts 4 verses 5 through 12. Look at what it says. It says, the next day the rulers, the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. They began to question them by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's interesting, the answer that Peter gives. See, a lot of times when we talk about the early church, one of the things that we miss is that the early church was a unified church, was a church with unity. And one of the things that caused unity within the early church was that they had a unifying cause. And we see this unifying cause in the answer that Peter gave to the religious leaders. What was their unifying cause that unified the early church? Advancing the kingdom of God. The early church was driven by their passion, by their commitment, by their obedience to expand the kingdom of God by sharing the good news of Jesus. That's what they were all about. We see that in Peter's answer when he says, hey, by what power or what authority gives you, uh, what, what gives you authority to do this? He says, it was Jesus. The Jesus that you crucified, but that the Lord resurrected, he is the one who did this. They had a unifying cause. It was, it was their goal to, to, to tell sinners about that forgiveness that was in Jesus. It was their goal to go tell the captives that Jesus had died to set them free. It was their goal to go tell that we're hopeless about the joy and the hope that is found in Jesus. And this drove them. This unified them. 
You want to know how much it unified them? The religious leaders could not find anything to blame them for. So you know what they told them? They told Peter and John, hey, we're going to let you go, but you cannot keep preaching. You're free to go, but you cannot keep preaching. You know how they answered? How would you have answered? How would you answer if at work they said, hey, you know, we know you're a Christian, but you got to keep that at home. How would you answer? You know how they answer? Here's what they said. I believe it's going to be up here in the screen. They said, you decide. You decide if you think it's better that we obey you or that we obey God. In other words, for them, it came down to something so simple. Either we obey you or we obey God. And you know what they chose to do? They chose to obey God. They chose to obey God. They said, we're not, we're not going to be intimidated by your fear. We're not going to be intimidated by your power because we have come to know a greater power. And see, when there's a unifying cause, special things happen. And the cause for you and for me continues to be the same one. And that is to advance the kingdom of God as much as we can. We need to keep telling people about Jesus. We need to keep sharing about Jesus everywhere we go. And church, Easter provides one of the best opportunities for you and I to do that. Easter is very well known to be the day where non-Christians are willing to come to church. Whether it is the eggs or the special things or, or just that it's such a, a, a popular day, it doesn't matter. But what matters is that it provides an opportunity for us to be able to share Jesus. Amen. So if we're going to have unity, we need to have the same cause. And that cause is to continue to expand the kingdom of God at all costs. So one of the things that I want to challenge you to do today in your outline, you received a little insert that looks like this. I want you to pull that out. Because what good is it if we talk about something, but we don't implement it? Amen? So I know there's two. Just grab this one, the bigger one for right now. I want to challenge you like I did last year. I want to challenge you. Are you looking at me? I want to challenge you to commit to inviting at least three people this Easter. At least three people. Hang on. Before you start filling it out, I'm going to help you out, okay? Because I know some of you are thinking, but I don't have anybody else. I got some ideas, okay? I want to challenge you to at least, if you can invite more, invite more. But here's what we're going to do. The reason I've asked you, I'm asking you to fill this out, is because I am going to commit to pray with you every day so that the Lord works in the names that you write down so that when you make the invitation, their heart is ready to say, yes, I'll join you that Sunday. Yeah. Let me ask you something. Are there any broken people around you? Any broken people at work? They need Jesus. And Jesus starts with an invitation. Are there any broken marriages around you? Do you know anybody, whether on social media, where you work, in your neighborhood? They need Jesus. 
You see any lost teenagers or young kids? Do you know any of them? They need Jesus. Invite them. How many of you guys go to Starbucks still? Your barista, he needs Jesus. The lady at the, at the grocery store that checks, that checks you out, not physically, your, your groceries, okay? They might need Jesus. So last year, you did really good. Last year, we filled this place. Last year, we had over 358 people attend our Easter service. Some of them stuck around. Others, we are trusting that the Lord is still working in their lives. So I think we could do even better this year. Don't you think so? But what's it going to take? All of, I can't invite 350 people. But you know what? All of us together, we can. So, so I'm going to ask you, would you take a few seconds and would you write three names down, whether it is a family last name or names individually? Would you write them out? We're going to collect this during the offering and they're going to give them to me. And I want to begin to pray with you starting tomorrow. And throughout the week, we're going to give you some promotional um, items that you could use to invite people. By the way, I got some really exciting news. This week, we placed the order to mail almost 7,000 invitational cards to our community around here. So every single house within almost a mile radius of the church will get an invite to come to church. We're going to put banners on the corner. We're going to put banners outside um, the first Sunday of April, which is April 7th, I believe, or April 2nd, I'm sorry. We're going to go out to the community and we're going to invite them. I know you're going to have a lot of reasons why you can't do it. But it is a unifying cause that will drive us forward. Amen? Are you with me? I know some of you are sleeping. Wake up. Amen? So would you take some, a few minutes, would you fill this out? And uh, I want to pray with you. I, I commit to doing that every day. I will take time, read through the names, pray for them. And we're going to equip you. We're going to give you some resources for you to invite people. Amen? So the first um, requirement of, of a unifying purpose is a collective cost. The second thing, the second uh, uh, thing that unity of purpose requires is a collective vision. It's a collective vision. It's a collective vision. Now, the cause unites us. A vision drives us. Did you, did you get that? Just in case you didn't, let me say it again. A cause unites us. That's why when there's natural disasters, it's a lot easy for people to come together, right? In our days, it's not just the nation that comes together, but the world that comes together. Whether it was the, the war in Ukraine or, or the earthquakes in, that, that just happened, the world unites to help people during natural disasters. So, so a cause unites us, but it is vision that drives us. It was the cause of expanding the kingdom that, that drove the early church, but it was the vision that also drove them and propelled them forward. I don't know 
if you know this, but when you read Acts 4, Acts 3, 4, and 5, you're going to find out that from the sermon that Peter preached, 5,000 men came to Jesus. 5,000. Man, I hope one day I could preach a sermon like that. I hope, that, I hope before I die, one day I could preach a sermon and 5,000 people come to Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome? But you know what? All the 5,000 came. That did not satisfy the disciples. You know how I know that? Because after they were released, you know what they did? They went together with all the other disciples, told them about the boldness that the Lord had given them and about what the Lord had done. And you know what they did? They got together to pray. And you know what they prayed for? They prayed for courage to keep preaching. They said, we saw 5,000 come, but there's still thousands and thousands and thousands that have not come to Jesus and they need to come to him too. Amen. So it was the cause and the vision that unified them and propelled them forward. And we need a vision like that too. Look at what Acts 4.31 says. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. There was an earthquake. Listen to me, church. They came together and they prayed and then God moved. Did you hear that? Did you hear that order? They came together, they prayed, and then what did God do? He moved. You know what we want today? We want God to move so that then maybe we could pray. We got to come together, we got to pray, and then God moves God is not going to move while you're in bed God is not going to move while you're been watching Netflix God is not going to move when you spend more time on TikTok than you do in prayer we come together we pray and what happens God moves and what happens when God moves look at what happens look at this next part and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the words of God, what? Boldly. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. One of my desires as a father is that my children would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know why? Here's why. Because I am not going to be able to be with them everywhere they go. Right. I'm not going to be able to always keep my eyes on them. And even if I could, I don't think I should. But you know who will? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will be there when Nathan is offered weed to remind him and tell him, no, don't do it. You know better. The Holy Spirit will be there when, when somebody offers Maisley to do something that is illegal. The Holy Spirit will be there to remind her and tell her, no, you are a, you are a child of God and you deserve better. One of my desires is that my children would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know that your father's desire is that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right. Now, why does he want to fill us with the Holy Spirit? Simple. It is not so that you can feel good. Most people today are after a move of the Holy Spirit because they want to feel goosebumps. They want to cry. They want the mocos to come out. They want that peace. Listen. Feeling good is one of the benefits of the Holy Spirit, but it is not the reason for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. 
God doesn't want to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you could feel good, but so that you could, you ready for this? So that you could do good. The Holy Spirit, it's God's power. It's God's anointing upon us, not so that we can feel high and mighty and spiritual, but so that we could go out and do something good. Can I tell you something? God created you to bless other people. There are other people that can be blessed by you. There are other people that need you. There are other people that God, that, that God wants to, to form them through you. And a lot of us, we're, we're, we're shy, we're timid, we're comfortable. And what we need is to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we not only feel good, but do good. The, the, I don't know if you noticed, but the Bible says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to preach. And that is why when the religious leaders threatened them and said, you better not keep preaching, that's why they answered the way they answered. And they said, hey, you tell us if you think we ought to obey you or obey God. They were willing to keep doing good even when there was threat and opposition because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Once again, Easter provides an opportunity for us to do good. I just told you that I believe that we are not only going to fill this place, but you ready for this? I believe that we're going to fill the chapel as well. But you know what that means? That means that we're going to need people in the parking lot. That means that we're going to need more people with the kids. That means that we're going to need more ushers, not just in here, but also in the chapel. That means that there's going to be more needs that are going to have to be met. And you want to know the good news? God sent you to fulfill those needs. And I believe that God is going to pour out his spirit upon us over the next few weeks. Not just to feel good, but to do good. You could be the reason somebody is blessed this Easter. You could be the reason somebody comes to Jesus this Easter. And it won't happen from the comfort of your chair. It'll happen when we say, Lord, give me courage and boldness to step out and do what you called me to do. Last week, I shared a little bit about it. But today, I want to give you the opportunity to start doing that. Here's what I want to ask you. Can we count on you? Can we count on you? I don't want you to give me amens. I don't want you to give me nots. Here's what I want you to give me. I want you to give me this card back. This card will tell me, Pastor, you can count me in. You can count on me. And in the back, we've put a few of the areas that we need. Right? I'll tell you some of them. We need help in hospitality. We need greeters, ushers, parking, security. We need people in our welcome center. We need people for our follow-up. Follow-up has to do with those that visit us, with those that come to Christ. We, wanna, we, want, we don't just want them to come to church and that's it. No, we want to stay connected with them. There's also first impressions. If you say, well, I'm not good with people, Pastor. Well, what about first impressions? Are you good at decorating? Can you set up tables and chairs? We're going to have a carnival in the back. And we're going to have baptisms in the back. Did you know that? 
Easter, we are going to have baptisms. Somebody's got to set all that up. It doesn't happen automatically, right? Or, or, or maybe, maybe you're good at cleaning up. Or, or one of the other things that we want to do is we want to create designs, you know? We want to be able to have a couple of photo booths, a couple of designs that says he is risen or he is alive. Are you good with tools? Are you good at painting? Could you help us do that? We need help with that. Or, or, or in events, right? If you say, well, you know, I'm not good with my hands, but I could hide some eggs so that the kids can find them. We need help with that, right? We need help with the carnival games. We're going to have some games. We're going to have food that day. We're going to be selling food so that as you're enjoying everything, you could also eat. Um, and, and then we've also put some miscellaneous ministries like kids ministry, media, cafe, baptism. There's a place. And if there isn't anything that you say, pastor, I'm not good at that. You know, what's another way you could help? By giving financial donations. I'm not shy to talk about it because as you can see, our goal is to reach people. All this stuff that we're doing is not free. The 7,000 mailers, they, were, they weren't free. We need to pay for them, right? The candy and the, the, the carnival games and, and all the cool stuff that we're going to have is not free. But you know what? It's worth the investment because people are worth the investment. So we need a vision. Can you see Easter with me being such a glorious day where we, where we are not only flooded with visitors, but where we see our church activated serving? Hey, young people, if you're dating, one of the most healthiest things you could do for your relationship, is, even if you're married too, is to serve together. Did you know that? Statistics show that couples that serve together have a healthier relationship. Because you're focused on others, not on yourselves. Because you get joy from bringing joy to other people, not just focus on what you like and don't have. God brought you here. You're a gift. You're a gift to me. You're a gift to everybody else. Can we count on you? Man. And if you say, Pastor, I'm willing to give money and help, but I don't know any of those other things. Come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Tony or Pastor Manolo to what, or Pastor Angel. We'll find something for you. We'll find something for you. Amen? Next week, I want to give you the last two ingredients for a unifying cause. Today, it suffices to say we need, we need a unifying cause to have unity of purpose and we need a unifying vision to have unity of purpose. Our cause is to reach the lost. And our vision is to see Easter be a blessing. Let me end with this. Last year, Easter changed the directory of our church. Did you know that? You probably didn't know that. Last year before Easter, on Sunday we were averaging 70, 80 adults because a lot of people were still uh, being precautious and staying home because of COVID. But last year we said, we believe that we can bring a lot of the people that have disconnected back. And after Easter, our Sundays changed. We went from 70, 80 adults to now 130, 140, on a good day, even 150. 
I believe this coming Easter can also change our church one more time. Where we can go from just about 15 people serving to everybody serving. What do you say with me, church? Can we do that? Would you bow your head with me? We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare Him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.